Uh, yeah, so just so as a background for sort of why I've shifted my focus in, in regards to this podcast, um, really just trying to get a local market knowledge for a lot of people who are having a hard time understanding the, the way that COVID has impacted real estate demand shift around the sort of the province. Um, and so I really wanted to touch base with you because I know that you have a, a really intimate understanding of Toronto condos, um, especially on the pre-con side. And then you also mentioned prior to recording, you know, on the resale side as well, you guys are getting a little bit more exposure there. Um, and, and wondering if you could just sort of start off by creating a little bit of context around who you are and what you do in, in the Toronto condo space. And then we can, uh, we can get into the, the nuances of it after that. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Jordan Skrinko. I own precondo.ca. Uh, we're a team of eight realtors now. Uh, obviously, given the name, we predominantly focus on pre-construction. But this year, because resale, you know, the price gap has widened so much, we've been doing a significant amount of resale. Uh, we focus primarily on the Toronto, uh, on Toronto and the GTA, uh, but we do venture out of there sometimes. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. Most of our volume is based in pre-construction. We're kind of a one-stop shop. So we manage our clients' units, we do property management um, and all that kind of good stuff. So we see a wide range of, we see, you know, we have um, a good idea of what's happening on both the resale pre-construction market, but we also see the lease side of, of, of the market, uh, which is obviously changing pretty rapidly right now. Right. So if you were to give a high level, sort of before we get into maybe like the talking about the media and stuff like that, but um, high level, what are the big trends that you're seeing in the market right now around condos, like in regards to leasing, as well as, you know, what you described in pre-con and resale? Yeah. So leasing is really tough if you're in the downtown core, especially if you're in the downtown core with a smaller unit, um, larger units, especially outside of the core are doing quite well, especially when you're talking about boutique buildings. So we're finding even in areas like King West, like nice units that are that are listed for lease in, in sort of smaller boutique 100 unit 200 unit buildings like you know like 10 morrison um, 39 brand those kinds of buildings those are leasing fine it's the cookie cutter sort of recently completed investment properties like ice condos and harbor plaza where you're having this just glut of inventory um you know i think harbor plaza last i checked has like 131 units for rent um, and so obviously it's a race to the bottom in terms of um, it's just a matter of, you know, do you want to absorb the losses or do you want to just decrease your price? So I think uh, Urban Nation's last report shows about a 10 to 15% decline in rental rates in the downtown core, which is pretty accurate. It's about right. what I'm seeing. Um, but when you look at like areas like Etobicoke, when you look at areas, um, yeah, even just Etobicoke has barely seen any, any uh, difference in, in in rental price, depending on the building you look at. It seems very building specific. So that's one important thing. Boutique buildings and end user luxury buildings tend to be doing better on the rental market right now. Do you see that as a trend that like we could see continue into the sale market? Like, I mean, obviously naturally you want, you can watch the rental market patterns eventually come into, into play because condos are such an investment. They're always going to echo what the, what the rental sentiment sentiment seeing, but like a couple of guys I discussed with, you know, uh, on the marketing teams of, of different big builders um, were saying, you know, this is really one of the times where we're starting to see an evolution of the sort of neighborhood uh, focus and like different value trends, shit. like really before, before it was like, you're just buying a condo in Toronto and, you know, because it was so much foreign capital and they weren't really super, in tune with the nuances of different neighborhoods in the city? Like, are you seeing this kind of evolution where people are starting to think about the geography of buildings a little bit more? 
Yeah, definitely. No question. Um, I, we've actually, uh, my team has always kind of been pushing boutique buildings right. uh, because I think when you look to, I, I, I kind of think of Toronto as like a baby New York. And when you look back 10, 20 years in New York and you look at which buildings are outperforming the market average, it is the boutiques. It is the, the lofts, the soft lofts, hard lofts, the sort of the inventory that's hard to come by yeah. um, and less of the cookie cutter stuff. So it makes sense that Toronto is starting to go through that transition. I think COVID accelerated it, but I think it was always going to come. Right. Uh, I, I think there's, there's good reason why boutique buildings would outperform your sort of high rise cookie cutter stuff. Um, one of them, obviously, during COVID, during a pandemic, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the other thing is just building demographics. In those boutique buildings, you tend to have, you know, 60, 70, 80% end users and very few units for rent. And so it's just generally speaking, a better place to live yeah. um, than the high rise. You don't have elevator issues. You don't have to spin down to P8 for parking. Like there's all these benefits to living in boutiques. Right. Um, it's just, it's less profitable to build. So you don't see a lot of that type of inventory anymore. Right. Yeah. And I guess the homogeneity presents a bit of a threat. Like when you talk about that race to the bottom on the valuation side of things, like if, if you have a, uh, you know, 30 story, 50 story building with identical floor plates, you know, for all the way from top to bottom yeah. it becomes easy for the comps to appear in the market that, you know, it's great when the market's climbing, but it's horrible when the market's going down and you have multiple identical units competing with one another. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess we touched a little bit on, on sort of what the media is doing around these, the Toronto lockdown and how that's, uh, and you and I are both pretty active on Twitter. I've been sort of, you know, chronicling a lot the um, ur- the concept of an urban exodus. Um, and I know you've been, you know, always talking sort of about the, the investment thesis of a pre-construction condo. Um, do you, and I know Twitter, like at least I've seemed, seemed to have, made myself, I don't know, one of these associated with the, with the more bear side of the real estate equation, because I talk a lot about downside risk and the analysis of that is always important to me. Do you, have you been getting much flack now that we're seeing, or, or maybe not flack, but just uh, inquisition, like people asking your opinion a lot on what the hell is happening in the, in the, in the condo market now that things are sort of shaken up probably for the first time in, in, you know, the deck, the past decade, right? Yeah. I mean, well, like being bullish on Twitter is, it's like putting a target on your back. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, and, and I think my, my Twitter bio right now is something like condos only go up and then I put in brackets over yeah. a 10 year spread. Yeah, like um, Cause I like to remind people it's time in the market, not timing in the market, but obviously yeah. as analytical people, we are always trying to time the market. Yeah. Um, and, and investors are too. Um, so it's one of those things, like I, I get a, a lot of flack in my YouTube comments actually because of, because of being so bullish on the market. However, um, I've made it pretty clear, I think the next, and I've been saying this since the spring, that the next six to 12 months are quite rocky. Yeah. Um, it, it, there's a lot that, you know, monetary policy remains relatively, um, it, it seems to change every day. Um, the way the city handles lockdowns is obviously, I mean, it's changing, it changed yesterday. Um, so there's, there's too many unknowns to really make any clear cut. Like I hate the nature of predictions. Um, because I think like, like the federal reserve in the States makes, um, quarterly GDP predictions. They've made something like 200 since 1913. Um, the percentage of times they've been right is zero. Right. So like zero out of, and and they're pretty good. So I think, and that's a good point when, when people get excited, you know, the bears get excited because CMHC, you know, such an authoritative figure is making, you know, double digit price decline um, 
uh, predictions, uh, I think it's important to remember like the, the very nature of like predictions, you're gonna be wrong way more often than you're right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, being a bull, you're gonna catch a lot of flack, but I still think the overall narrative for the Toronto condo market hasn't really changed. Like you really only need two things to be true in my opinion, in order for it to make sense to buy a pre-construction condo. Yeah. Um, number one, you believe Canadian immigration is gonna stay high. And number two, you, you believe that Toronto is going to remain the most uh, desired place to live in Canada. If those two are true, I mean, we know that that uh, land costs are super high. Um, we obviously have the green belt, you know, constricting land, developable land. We have um, probably the slowest moving zoning. Uh, like, like, like if there's all these factors that make it very unprofitable and very difficult to build in a city that hundreds of thousands of people are coming to every year. For sure. Right. So the long term, I think the long term view hasn't changed for me. Yeah, that's something I talk about a lot as well. Like, you know, we can't service land fast enough to keep up with demand. Like it's, it's essentially an arbitrage, right? Like even if you ignore everything else, like and, and demand completely shuts off from, you know, who would be maybe bigger market players in the past, like your, you know, your foreign demand, foreign investment uh, or immigration. I think that there's still enough. And I, I've, I've talked about this sort of as my recovery thesis. Like, I don't know how bad it's going to get for condos on the value side. And I'd rather not play in that forecasting space. But I think about who, who like, I get messages now that values are down, what, like, you know, in some areas, 5%, let's say, I get messages every day from people from our generation who are like, is it the right time for me to finally buy a condo? Like, you know, I've been priced out, I've been renting for five years, 10 years, and I still want to stay in the city. Like, everybody seems to there's a lot of opportunism already in the market right so i think that if, if anything to me what this whole thing looks like is a transition away from you know that that european housing model that we're heading for which is like high foreign investment high institutional ownership towards you know finally getting some end users to be absorbing these condo products the way that they were designed to be which is you know a, a stepping stone into the into the market in the gta for for young people i would say um I mean, I hope so, but I can tell you over the last eight, call it six months, I've been fielding more calls and done more deals with foreign buyers than in four years prior. Really? Yeah, which is interesting to me. Um, what seems to be the, the reason for their for their sentiment? Store of value. Right. Yeah, and, store of value is the big one. And a, and a lot of that is just because like within their their country, the, the there's a, a, a threat to that. Like I know... Well, so a lot of them have been Hong Kong. So right. that, there's that, right? Yeah. That's a big, a big factor. Um, but also a lot of guys from the States. Right. Okay. Um, a lot of guys who are obviously already heavily into equities, bonds, gold, even Bitcoin, some of these guys, and they're just looking to diversify. Yeah. Um, clientele I don't normally deal with. Uh, and clientele that also seems incredibly unbothered by the 15% NRST, which is interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I mean, I'm hopeful that it, this presents a little bit of an opportunity for, you know, for the younger generation to get into homeownership, because the truth is, you know, with these, with these low rates, um, like the 2016 uh, census, I think showed Toronto at about 60% homeownership rate, right. And Manhattan sitting at about 30. And I think over time that transition is going to continue where you just have more and more renters and less owners. Um, so it'd be nice to see something head the other way. Right. Um, do you, when you were talking about that, that article, actually, maybe we'll, we'll stay on the investment sentiment. So 
you saw that shift and then but but what about the people who you were traditionally working with like are they is their sentiment change is there fear is there like what's going on in the market yeah so there's absolutely fear um a part of that is from the fact that you know resale prices are so resale condo prices i i would say are up over this time last year or or maybe flat um, but down from the peak of January, February, which was very reminiscent of 2016, 17, it was like, you know, the average, uh, price per square foot this February was up 15% year over year. So we're down from there, but up from this time last year, um, it may be just marginally. Um, so the typical clientele I deal with is people who might own one unit, or maybe it's their first investment somewhere between zero and five units they own, right? Though the newer investors amongst those crowd, uh, that crowd, are, there's definitely a lot of fear. They're very, um, very concerned with buying right now. But the guys who own three, four, five units, a lot of them have added to their portfolio this year. I mean, there were a few launches that went incredibly well. Brightwater sold out very quickly. 28 Eastern um, was a good example, launched in the summer and sold mo- almost the whole building. Um, so, I mean, and then, and then you have the opposite, you have some buildings that have launched and are really struggling and just kind of piling on incentives right now to try to get pro- inventory to move. So I definitely think there's way more fear in the market now than there was in January, February. Um, but like we, for example, we had our best year ever in terms of units sold both pre-construction and resale. Right. Um, so well, congrats. Yeah, thanks. There's a lot of people. I mean, one of the bears commented on my YouTube channel saying, you know, well, people are selling condos like crazy to move out to the sticks. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But in order for a transaction to exist, there's also a buyer, right? Volume in general is up. Um, People are buying condos like crazy too. Yeah. So. Um, Do you, when we, when you talked about like the builders launching, what's the sentiment? I imagine you, in touch with a lot of these these marketing mm-hmm. departments like what's the sentiment like on their side and as to why they're launching today if you know if like you said prices are down since earlier this year like are they not is there an anticipation that that we're not going to see much growth for the foreseeable future or like is there the, I, I, you know the smart money guys the guys who are building a lot of this product what are they saying about you know sort of where where they're at in the market and i know a lot of them like you described like the absorption is low some of them are completely missing the mark on pricing too, right? Like what's, what's happening on, on that side, on the institutional side? Um, I think a lot of them are, well, a lot of developers are playing the wait and see game, right? So we've had a lot of launches just postponed this year, which is actually interesting because it's going to starve supply future down the line, right? We're, we're seeing a lot of construction starts hold off, a lot of launches hold off. And that, that of course is going to affect the supply function later in four or five years or whatever. Um, you know, I spoke to... I tend to think like the builders analysts are probably the smartest guys in the room when it comes to this stuff. Um, And when you look at the land transactions, I think there's some evidence of land selling now cheaper per buildable foot than it would have just a year ago, depending on where you're looking. So I know there was a Yorkville site that sold pretty recently that um, seems to have sold for less than it would have. Uh, just a year ago. And that, of course, is, is a bit of a leading indicator to me that they, you know, if developers aren't bidding that land up to the price it would have been a year ago, then there's a little bit of fear on their side. Yeah. But I don't think I'm seeing an overwhelming amount of that. I think I'm seeing probably more evidence to the contrary that builders might be holding off to launch their product, but they're still moving forward on everything else. Um, on buying new land, on zoning land. So I think, I don't think there's a lot of 
from what I, from what I, you know, the ones I've spoken to and what I'm seeing in in terms of land transactions, I'm not over, I'm not too concerned. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because when you talk about that, that cost structure of, of development, like land costs aren't going down. And maybe if they are a little bit, like you just described on some, some of these newer transactions, construction costs certainly aren't deflationary yet. And I think that, you know, I've seen on the fiscal policy side, the government's committed a lot to infrastructure spending already, which, you know, they could take a lot of trades out of that market. If the, if the supply side like does need some tightening. Right. Um, I'm interested to see like, if that, the, if we end up again, like with what you're describing, like a, a shortage of supply in the fullness of time, like, is there, is there sort of a thesis evolving that, the tightness that we're that we're creating today could create almost an explosion in two years, and that this could potentially be one of the better buying opportunities that we're going to see, well, ever probably, right? Is that is that yeah, like? I I think there's definitely an argument for that. Like the truth is, this January and February, I mean, we do some resale, and and the the sub 700k condo market this January and February was heating up. It was very reminiscent of 2016, 2017. You know, yeah. cost per foot was was up. Uh, selling price per foot was up like 15% year over year. We were, it looked like we were headed for another 20, 25% year. Um, And then of course COVID comes and takes sort of the wind out of the sails here. Um, But I think the the underlying fundamentals of why, like the, the, you know, you have all of this Airbnb supply come to the long-term rental market, depressed rental rates. And then of course you've got investors cashing out, weak hands cashing out of of their units. you know, so kind of this exogenous shock to the market, but I think the fundamentals, the underlying fundamentals were for a very strong year. And I think it's almost like we've just sort of postponed that. Um, because when immig- like the new targets for immigration at first glance seem astronomical, but when you realize it's kind of just making up for the shortfall of this year, yeah, the fundamentals remain kind of unchanged. Um, so I think there's a good argument that right now, or you know, zero, we'll call it zero to six months from now is a very good buying opportunity uh, because at some point, like a lot of the bears are yelling that the sky is falling and they're claiming victory, right? Mm-hmm. But we're at four months of inventory in the condo market. That's a balanced market. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a shock to us because in Toronto, we've been sub two, two months of inventory for such a long time mm-hmm. um, that you know, 30 days on market seems stale to us. But right. when you look at Manhattan with 11 months of inventory and Miami with 14, yeah. It becomes pretty obvious that all things considered, we're doing, we're doing quite well. Right. In the um, context. Yeah. So it's just a matter of when the, when the months of inventory starts to trend down again. And I don't think it's going to be before the holiday season. Right. And then I guess in that context is the winter, like, you know, being some of the slowest absorption months, um, maybe not like on the investment side, I know a lot of guys want to get transactions on their books or off their books, like, you know, sort of December, January. I don't know if you see that reflect in the, in the condo investment market, but um, you know, at least in the, in the rental side, when you're talking about the property management, I mean, we're heading into basically the two is two slowest absorption months for yeah. rental that we see. Is that, do you see that presenting any challenges or? Uh, I would think so. I, I would think there's going to be some, uh, a lot of good deals to be had over the winter. Um, there, there usually is right. Yeah. Not just this year, like most years, like if you can find a condo that kind of suits what you're looking for in December, January, it's a really good time to, to snap it up. Yeah. Um, but I think this year, especially because there's just so much inventory sitting, uh, stale, uh, yeah. on the market. Um, okay. Yeah. The, I, I sort of have a similar perspective on that. Honestly. Um, I, uh, it's just, 
I'm not super intimate with like the data on the, on the condo side. So it's really nice to hear like, you, you know, the, especially cause you, you are, you have a great uh, analysis towards what the market's doing. Um, when I guess the one final piece that I wanted to discuss um, and then we could wrap up is, is on the assignment side. Like, so you were reviewing an article the other day and I think that there's like a lot of fear mongering around like what's happening in this market. And I think that because it's like a market where there isn't really any data, like you almost have to know primary research to, to really know what's going on there it's hard to get a, a real look at or, or any like i don't know genuine perspective yes. right so what what from your perspective because i imagine you're probably one of the guys who knows it better than most what's happening there that's actually an interesting point assignments kind of are the wild west there's very little way to track it um yeah so 680 news put out an article that really circulated i don't know how many people sent me that article but it, it really made its rounds and it, the the headline was um condo investors tearing up pre-construction purchase contracts, Um, which of course isn't the truth. (laughs) It's not the case at all. Um, But it, that sort of article alludes to the fact that to me, what the headline suggests and what my clients thought it was suggesting was that people were, you know, people who had bought pre-construction three years ago and and three, four years ago, we're coming up on closing today. We're just walking away from their, from their deposits, not closing on the unit, you know, defaulting on the unit, letting the builder take the unit back. Um, that's not happening. Anybody who purchased with very few exceptions, anybody who purchased three to four years ago in the pre-construction market has enough, uh, time in the market where there's enough appreciation that after paying their real estate commissions and whatever other taxes they, they get dinged for, um, they're still, uh, equity positive on these units. So what's actually happening is we're seeing a ton of inventory on the assignment market because people don't want to close in today's rental, um, you know, situation. Right. Um, The question is how many of those assignments were always destined to be assignments. So that's really hard to figure out because, um, you know, over the last four or five years, each year, it feels like I'm meeting with more and more investors who have that sole intention when they buy pre-construction. Flipping the paper. Yeah, because they've, you know, their uncle did it or, or whatever, made a hundred grand. And, um, you know, basically if you bought uh, five years ago and then sold shortly after 2017, you did make a hundred grand, right? And so there's a skewed perspective because we had one really strong year of yeah. condo appreciation that like this is easy to do. And a lot of people don't also don't realize that the gap between, you know, pre-construction and resale prices have wide, has widened. In yeah. the last couple of years, well, so it's getting. They're starting to take that as an options contract, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, incredibly speculative. So the question is, like, how many of those assignments were always destined to be assignments? It's really difficult to say. There's no question in my mind we're seeing more assignments than we would have if it wasn't for the current rental market. Um, but I'm not yet seeing people liquidate assignments at a loss. Right. So I mean, they're still coming out rel- marginally ahead. And that's that would be primarily like stuff that's coming up to like close to closing. Cause like, like you said, like those people can withstand probably like a 20% correction in the market realistically, like with the growth that we've seen, if you signed if you bought in a building three years ago, like you're saying, yeah. Um, what about, is there any fear? And like, we, you know, we touched on this briefly, but like, you know, if you're, cause today, like what, what would you say the markup is on a unit that somebody's buying today? On uh, so that varies massively depending on neighborhood. What um, worst case though? Uh, worst case, I've seen some. I've seen some recent launches at a three hundred and fifty dollars foot premium over resale. So, okay. and that's in the downtown core. That's like a fat, but that and that so that's like a thousand dollar resale square foot right now. So like a thirty five percent 
lift? Oh, bump over that, yeah. Yeah, is that downtown or downtown east? Uh, downtown east. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's probably the worst spread. And then the sort of so yeah. is, is there? I guess people are is is a lot of that kind of getting screwed, and maybe that's a little bit more micro by by the changes now with this Amazon or uh, Google, like the sidewalk labs thing. Was that sort of part of the? the well, I don't think I I think um, I don't think that was the biggest right. biggest. Uh, I don't think that played too much of a factor. Right. Okay. Um, you still I mean, got more lands. Like there's a exactly. ton of stuff going on over there. Exactly. I mean, regardless, a, that parcel is still like the best future development site in the city, right? Like that's exactly. Like, it's it's almost better that sidewalk didn't happen because now you can get real professional local. I was just gonna say, yeah, for the long term longevity of the city and the health of the city, it's probably best. It's it probably wasn't for, good that the Fed gave away a billion dollars worth of land, honestly. No. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, the spread varies from everywhere from you know. Like uh, Tridel just launched the Westerly at Islington, yeah. uh, TTC at like 900 a foot, um, which isn't bad. Like that's maybe a $7,500 foot, uh, foot gap, right? So that's pretty reasonable. Um, but there, there is a big, a big, uh, and, you, and you can see investors are uh, maybe doing a little more analysis now than they were before, yeah. because that the, the stuff that is, is considerably more expensive than resale is sitting. Um, and struggling to sell, right? So, and you're starting to see like just developers pile on incentives, like really extended deposit structures, even credit on closing. I think um, I think that's your you know your first sign they're kind of racing that 75% sold mark to be able to get their construction loan and, and get shoveling ground as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I've had some buyers ask me, you know, why am I getting a 20k on closing? Why don't they just reduce the the price? And I, I think. That again speaks to not every people don't fully grasp that these developers are operating on pretty thin margins, like yeah. 10% or so, and they have to hit those margins in order to get the construction loan. So the reason you're getting a credit on closing is because the bank that's giving them that that money to to build the condo project doesn't know you're getting that 20k back. They're just getting the original agreement of purchase and sale. Right. They're getting your mortgage pre-approval, and they're funding the loan based on a 10% margin. The developers' even- margins are. Yeah. I mean, or even if they do, like the one thing about a capital stack that a lot of people don't understand is like, if you're holding a land loan and it's burning, like you're burning cash every month on your capital costs that like you have to, like, you're right. It is a race to get to that 75%. So you can get into your next tranche of like getting to your cheaper debt. Right. Um, Cause the, like a lot of the facilities that these guys have they're they are, they're levered up like they, and they're borrowing against your deposits. Right. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's an interesting thing, and I think if people understood it a little bit better, they'd probably be a lot less. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but critical of developers, perhaps. Um, is there? I want to be mindful of your time, and I like to keep the episodes kind of short so that people can digest them. Is there anything you wanted to add uh, before we wrap up? Uh, not really. I mean, I think it's important to note that like there's a lot of doom and gloom, especially with um, mainstream media. And it's just important to remember, like, like there's a couple of really noteworthy kind of um, not famous, but maybe famous in the real estate world, like bears on YouTube and on Twitter who have just, you know, and Facebook groups that have just been habitually shitting all over Toronto real estate since 2016. And now they're declaring victory because a global pandemic depresses prices 5%. Uh, I think it's important to remember, like, being early is the same thing as being wrong. So if you've, if you, if you've been saying the, you know, Toronto's a bubble and the prices have to correct since 2016. Yeah, yeah. And now that we're in 2020, prices are down five, 10%. Um, 
you weren't right because you missed out on 30% yeah. or 40% or whatever it is. Right. So I think it's important to kind of remember that, like to kind of put things in, into perspective sometime, sometimes and realize like four months of inventory prices up over this time last year, we might have another five, 10% to fall. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but all things considered Toronto kind of survived this, the Toronto housing market survived this pandemic pretty, pretty well. Yeah, in the global context, for sure, if you compare it like apples to apples with other, you know, like world cities. And I think yeah. like our migration into that class of, of city is, is looking better and better every day, honestly. And I, and I, I, I was always never really critical of it, but I always just, you know, tried to have a, a relatively fair perspective of Toronto's potential to become that way. Because like our land scarcity is sort of fabricated and there's a lot of other things that. Right. Are, you know, but um in regards to that too, like, I think one of the things that I like to think about from an, from an analysis perspective is not only did you, like if it, not only the growth, if you put aside growth and you think about, okay, everybody's saying like, Oh, these guys who bought condos, like they're losing money after condo fees and rents and whatever. It's like, sure. That's even if that's true. So even if like, you know, let's say you're, half of your like worst case scenario, half of your, uh, your monthly payment is, is interest and you got to pay $500 condo fees. Even then, if three years ago you decided not to buy a condo and the prices didn't go up at all, even if they went down, you still got, let's say, 500 bucks a month of principal paid for you. Yep. Like, it's like, uh, that's what people ignore about real estate, right? It's not like this isn't a get, and, and that's why I always have had an issue with assignment flips and this get rich quick scheme about it. Cause like you said, it's time in the market, not timing the market. And the longer every month that goes by that you're sitting there talking about how the market's going to crash you're not getting rent or you're not getting a return, right? Your money's right. sitting there doing what, right? Depreciating. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> honestly. So, um, and then I guess the, the final thing would be if people want to like, just shoot the shit with you on social or, or chat or pick your brain on, on this or get into to pre-construction investing, uh, where should they reach out to you? Uh, just, they can email me Jordan at precondo.ca or uh, we got a YouTube channel. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I'll, I'll link that and then uh, and I guess your Twitter as well. Or where are you most active on social? YouTube? YouTube, yeah. All right, man. I'll, I'll send everybody there. Um, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Honestly, been been wanting to have this conversation for a while and you really shed a lot of good light on it for me. So uh, I yeah, think- Thanks for having me, man. Hey, no problem. My pleasure. Okay, buddy. Thanks. Take care.